Barrington, Chesterfield, Davis. Here's his answer to the best keeper ever. <laughs> How's it going? Welcome to episode 10 of You Can't Be Friends with Rockstars. We've got a fantastic guest on tonight. Uh, Barry Fisher, a local musician from Air, who's played in a good few bands in Air and surrounding areas. Um, he's going to tell us a wee bit about himself, his interests, what he's been into, what he's done in his musical career, and um, he's also just been signed during lockdown, which is a good story, and he'll give us a wee bash at what happened there. So, here we go. Back and start. So, music-wise, what's your earliest kind of memory of music, mate? My, my earliest memory of music is being in my dad's Toyota Celica, going down to Plymouth, right? We were going down to Plymouth, and I remember looking over and seeing his um, speedometer, and it was at 100 mile an hour. It was a black Celica. It looked like, see the Night Rider car? <laughs> it looked like that, right? So we are speeding down the motorway, right? And uh, Guns N' Roses night train was on, and that was my f earliest memory. I must have been about six, and, and was I? I six and uh, I night train was on and I just remember thinking that this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so, so did you get any Guns N' Roses and all that? Because I didn't know that. I love Guns N' Roses. I, no early, like see, like grow, like growing through music and stuff. I didn't get into Guns N' Roses till proper later on. I read Slash's book. I always kind of had it in the background, but I read Slash's book and. Uh, it just made me go, I, I need to get right into these dudes, man, because <laughs> there's some cool stories about them, man. Like that. And I, the music's tr tremendous. I don't care like what, if you're a mod or whatever, I, 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 that kind of genre you're into. See Guns N' Roses, see if you listen to the lyrics and all that kind of stuff. It's just different class, man. Different I don't class. Know, I don't know if David agrees with you there, mate. He's <laughs> not a fan at all. I can see nah. Kevin laughing there. It's just... I, I just cannot fucking stick Guns N' Roses. Nah, I, I don't know what it see, is. I, like, there's some cracking songs there, but I just something about them just rubs me up the wrong way, and I just cannot, cannot go. Uh, see, I'm normally into stuff like that. See, this the stuff that rubs folk up the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> see, growing up, like I, I, honestly, right, music wasn't it. I was into Fatba. It was always Fatba. I was into. And then I got a job when I was about 13 or 14, peeling tatties at Sandy's Chippy, right? And the only CDs that were there were Robbie Williams, right? So I would spend my days after work peeling tatties, listening to Robbie Williams, thinking that was the cool fucking chat, right? oh. Loving it. Robbie and Kylie singing kids. Oh, mate. What age are you? I'm 34. So we probably, at the exact same time, were peeling tatties and listening to Robbie Williams because I had a job in Dino's peeling tatties <laughs> and that was a CD that was on constantly as well at the same time. <laughs> There's single Tell you, man. Kids, tune. <laughs> Robbie and Kylie fucking cornered the chippy market. <laughs> Aye, so... Anyway, so I was listening to all that, right, and a boy called Craig Ward, who'd done really well on The Voice on BBC, he was a friar, and he goes like that to me, he goes like, Barry, you'll love these albums, and he gave me What's Your Story, Morning Glory, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, and oh, it was a, a cast, a, oh, what is, I can't remember, the, the one with the rainbow. Has it all changed, no? Aye, aye, that's aye. the one, aye. So he gave me them to listen to, man. And see, the first one I put on was What's the Story, Morning Glory. 
right? And I must, I, I must have been about 14 or 15, and I just went, wow, holy shit, man. It, it hit me. Music proper hit me then. And that, that's, I listened to that. I wanted to listen to the first, I wanted to listen to every album to that point. Heathen Chemistry wasn't out at that point. Uh, and I wanted to listen to like, their early demos. I wanted to listen to what they were into. And that led to me going into the Beatles and all the kind of mod stuff, the Who, Jam, all that kind of stuff. And then I got into Northern Soul, which is a total, that, that was later on, right enough. But it was always Oasis that, and the Beatles especially that drove me musically. And what? how did you, in this day and age, it's easier, obviously, you've got everything at the kind of tips of your fingers when it comes to the internet, but how were you accessing that music? How were you finding the demos? How were you getting that introduction to the Beatles? And Well, Kev will know this. There was a couple of uh, music shops in the town. One was Planet of Sound, and the other one, I can't for the life of me remember it, but it was round the corner for the, the guitar shop. Uh, oh, I can't remember now. But Planet of Sound especially, right? And I used to do like, split shifts at Sandy's, so I'd work in the morning, and then I'd have to, I stayed in Zulu, uh, Kincaid's. So I used to do split shifts at Sandy's. So in the afternoon, I'd go into the town instead of going all the way home, and I'd go into Planet of Sp uh, Sound and spend hour, an hour and a bit just raking through things. And I seen this, uh, well, CD, sorry, and it, it was the front cover to Quadrophenia, and it was just Jimmy with his parka on. Uh -huh. I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I'd never heard of the Who or Quadrophenia or anything like that before. And I'd just seen this, and I thought, I'm, I'm getting that. And as soon as I put it on, and then the real me came on, that was me, a Who fan. That was me <laughs> wanting to get the parka. I wanted it to be Pete Townsend. I wanted to be, do you know what I mean? I wanted to be Keith Moon, especially. Keith, Keith Moon's. Seen The Who at Isle of Wight, 1970, I think it was. I had it on VHS, and I seen uh, Keith Moon playing, and I went, fuck me, man. Holy shit, that's a guy who's enjoying what he's doing, and he's mental, but he's doing it good and in time, do you know what I mean? Do you know when you get the types, Kev? You, do you know what I mean? Um, you get the fucking nutters. <laughs> You're just like... Just <laughs> they know what they're doing, weirdly. And I just seen them and I went like, I want to be a drummer. Was that the first time you'd attempted to, to play an instrument? Had you tried it? No, no. Well, see, I, I tried to play guitar and I had wee kind of thin books. They were just called like Teach Yourself Guitar Books. And um, I, I sat in, the first song I ever properly learned on guitar was Paperback Writer. It's only two, card, uh, two chords. Uh, C and G, I think it was. So I, I sat and played that, and I just flicked through this book, and it's got kind of tab. So I learned a wee bit, but I was like, I don't like this. And then that's what I'm saying. I seen Keith Moon, and I went, that's what I want to do. He's doing much more than anybody else can do on that stage. And then there's some there's some people on that stage. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I'm more of a greatest hits type of person when it comes to anything other than the Beatles and Oasis. So I just wanted to hear like, the best, uh, sorry, and the Who. So I wanted to hear the best of the jam and uh, like the best of modern music. And then that led me down the path to kind of Northern Soul. I feel like you're kind of, no, it's Kanye old, mate. I'm not Kanye old. Yeah. <laughs> you have to talk to your me generation got the proper I'm, oasis. I'm calling them old. <laughs> <laughs> but I just mean like your generation got like the proper oasis. Do you know what I mean? I think so, I. 
I get standing in the shoulder of giants. That was that was my introduction really to Oasis. I knew them. Obviously, I'd heard all the 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 kind of earlier stuff and the mm-hmm. kind of the Britpop like battle and stuff like that. But right. I was just probably a bit young for it. I think I was about nine or ten at that point, so I was just a bit young for that. And then uh, stand, right. standing in the shoulder of giants was the first time that it was like, right, actually, this is something I can I can get into. And we were talking about this right. last week. That was my first. First gig was Murrayfield to kind of right. Ah, uh, was it what, what the tour was that? It was the Stand on the Shoulder of Giants tour. So it was oh, right, the, sorry, I, it I, was I, the we were saying this. It was the Doves and the Happy Mondays were the support acts. Oh, so, I've seen Happy Mondays. I think three times. Oh, Unreal Band live. It's amazing. Probably, probably just below Aces and the best band I've ever seen live. Even at his worst, it's just a. Uh, <laughs> and I, see, when I seen them, right, Bez smoked a crack pipe on stage. Oh Jesus, man! <laughs> I read something. It was somebody put up a thing in Facebook, and it was just like, find somebody that fucking looks at you the way Bez looks at anything. <laughs> <laughs> just his, uh, just his face, man. Um, the two of them, are, the two are great. I played a gig with Bez. Hi, like, right, can I tell this story? You See, can, mate. Rooney, you? I mean, oh, we you. demand it. Wait, Rooney, yeah. Rooney got an echo off Bez. <laughs> right, we played this gig, right? We were up to, we were playing it in uh, Harley's, right? And Bez done the DJ upstairs in Furies. So we were upstairs into Furies and we had the wee corner bit all sectioned off for us and all that. And we were stealing, well, no stealing, but getting all Bez's grey goose and all that. I offered Bez a joint and he says, no, I don't, I don't smoke tobacco. <laughs> right? And I was like, fair days, man, I'll have it to myself. Right, and the next thing he knows, he goes like, turn around, Rudy's like, yeah, have that, man. And Rudy's like, what's that, Eki, boom. He's sound as fuck, but see, like, I think maybe a week later, he was running for like a, a MP in Manchester for the no fracking <laughs> thing. <laughs> I mean, I like, you just give me an echo now you want. That's <laughs> like, that's, that's probably the most best thing that he probably could have done, other than smoking crack on stage and gubbing echoes in furies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to Sandy's again, right? And I was working with this lassie called Emma Napier, and uh, she turned in and I, like, my dad got me these drums, and I, like I said, I'd seen Keith Moon. So I, I started saying I was a drummer. And all I'd seen was Keith Moon, and I thought, this is how you do it. You just hit everything hard and fast and quick. And, <laughs> and fucking loud. And then, uh, so I, she's like, oh, my brother's in a band, he's looking for a drummer. And I said, ah, I'm a drummer. So they got me in, and they, done, they were doing supersonic. <laughs> and I just went, and I was like, like, and they're like, no, 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 no. You've heard Supersonic, man. It's like, do, 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 I was like, right, okay. So I started doing it. And I got all right. I'd, like, that was basically me becoming a drummer, then playing Supersonic. And that band was called The Perrys. And what we'd done, we'd done Oasis songs, and that was that. And then the boy, Stephen Napier, who asked me to join, um, he said he'd wrote a tune and it was called Rain and it was it was miserable, right? And mm-hmm. I remember going down the beach, uh, Gary Holland, and the two years wrote this tune called uh, <laughs> We sat down the rocks at the beach and we wrote a song called I Ain't No Fool. <laughs> right, and that was my first ever song I wrote. 
<laughs> and that was me playing drums and a little bit of guitar and it was three chords all the way through and it was amazing <laughs> so me and Gary shared a flat above Christina's and uh, one night Gary went out and I stayed in and next thing I know there's a party coming back to Nabbit and Gary's like I invited all these boys back but meet this boy Rory look at his hair <laughs> look at his hair right? I just play lead guitar and Rory's like aye I definitely play lead guitar so, uh, brilliant, we've got a band. So me and drums, Tony and bass, Gary singing, Rudy lead, went in and uh, we played one of my tunes. And Rudy can play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, because it was my tune, I'd kind of made up the wee lead bit, right? So I showed him it and he played it and we kind of gelled, we go that and then we've done the same thing with the next three songs. And then uh, there was one night in the old Sound Magic studio, remember? There was we the were... Lennon room and the Hendrix room. Aye. Well, we were in the downstairs, which I think was the Hendrix one. And uh, I asked Tony for a shot of the bass and to show me something in the bass. And he showed me um, I'm the Resurrection, the doom, 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 doom. And I was like, jump jump on the drums and play, play drums to me playing this bass bit. And... Uh, so that was me transition. That was the the band kind of transitioning to like what we were to what we ended up being. And Gary ended up picking up the guitar as well, and Rudy got better. <laughs> like guitar. Right, I was, I was going to say I've I've always a jam Rudy, and he's tremendous. Like he is. Really uh, aye, he's really good, man. But really good. It's like back before he was good, he was I mean bad. But like like I said, we all can, uh, we were all terrible, right, Gary? We've all been there, mate. Oh, terrible, right, man? But we played with fucking so much vigour and heart that we believed in ourselves, man. See, that's the thing, and, uh, like, that's the best way to learn, though, because I remember doing the same, like, I bumped into a random guy, and well, it was two random guys, I'd lost my mates, couldn't get into Club de Mar or whatever it was, and ended up in the Bobby Jones, met these two <laughs> random guys who tell me they were, like, playing in an industrial metal band, could I play guitar? And I was like, aye. Same, <laughs> same as really. Aye. So I went, went the next day for a rehearsal and they showed me fucking all the riffs for like the songs and that was pretty much how I started playing playing guitar, was Aye. just learning. I'd heard my guitar about a week when I was like, I am a guitarist. We formed uh, the Imperials and that that's when fucking shit that's when really I first seen you that's when that, I first that seen was you. That was a period of fucking a lot of stuff going on, man. <laughs> Some really funny stuff, man. Uh, it was a really good time. We, we played a gig down at RAF Boomer, which is an airbase uh, just outside Newcastle. Booked for a gig like that. <laughs> this is another funny story, right? It seems like I've been really jammy on everything that's been happened, right? But what happened was me, Nicky, Rory, and Kenny were all working for my dad, Ruffin, at the Motherwell Civic Centre, and we were sick of playing Glasgow in air. And I was like, right, we need to get out, we need to try and book a tour. And I was like, I seen this band years ago called The Tuckers, doing in the Dirty Bottles in Anik. That's where my nana used to stay. And I was like, I'll just 118 the, the Dirty Bottles number and phone them up and ask if they'll get the, a number for The Tuckers. So that's what I've done. And they goes, like, all right, I'll give you the nana's number. So I phoned her nana. <laughs> the nana. <I> like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so I phoned her nana. And I was like, hello. My name's Barry. I'm looking for the singer of the Tuckers or the, the, the guitarist. I know the brothers. 
And they're like, oh, you mean Kevin? And I was like, aye. And she went and got Kevin, the singer. He came down and I was like, you'll probably never remember me until you see me. But I, I was at your gig about three years ago. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I'm just looking to see if you've got a gig gone. And uh, he's like, right, I'll get back to you. So about a month down the line. Uh, he's like, right, I've got a gig booked. So I was two playing at uh, the rugby club in Anik. Five years went down. And uh, in all honesty, man, it's, it's a haze woman on to be honest. Like, there was loads of things going on, if you know what I mean. Just, and I'm sure, I, I'm like, sure it was tuneful and all that, and everything sounded oh, else. It definitely was, man. <laughs> Even when the two bands went on and tried to play My Generation, it was definitely on tune. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't doubt it for one second, man. So <laughs> I tell you what, my guitar bat part was fucking smashing. Because Nicky was working, he was working away in the fishing boats, and that was him. So we were at right. Well, he's away for months on end here, so we need to try and find something. I text um, Grant Shearer and um, Moses, Ken Moses. I know, I know Moses, I. I text, I text the two of them and I said, do you know any singers? And the two of them come back with the same name, James Mackay. And then me and Rory were out one night in Madison's. Next thing you know, we James is up there. We use Fred Perry on jeans and Doc Martens. Me and Rory <laughs> sitting like for two old creeps like <laughs> with James. And in the middle between us, right? Single like art, right? This is what's happening, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we go like that. The dot Martins need to go for to start me. <laughs> <laughs> and then for there, I the trips kind of we started off in the courtyard bar, nearly every night in the courtyard bar up the back. So and then we we done that, and then we put on a gig at the end of the month. So we were doing that. We asked her what happened was the schemes, Ryan or somebody, uh, Ryan the singer. Ryan Kelly, aye. I moved to Manchester, so it looked like the schemes were breaking up. So I said to James, I was like, let's ask their drummer. And Because I remember we see, we played with them at the Admiral Bar. We seen them and I seen him and I was like, he's fucking brilliant. And then that's when I said to James, I was like, ask, ask him. And just by chance, he's like, I'll come in and he can, first jam. We played him all the songs that Kenny had played and he's like, picked up straight away but made it 10 times better with every single song. And then for there, all we did was practice and uh, sound magic. It was like practice, practice, practice. Then we'd just started getting gigs, like maybe two gigs a week. So it'd be like one in air, one in Glasgow, one in, you know what I mean? Next thing you know, King Tuts emailed asking us to play. For me personally, as a Beatles Oasis fan, that was something else, man. Do you know that way when you're in a band and see the hardest thing is try to get to convince people to come to your gig? Uh -huh. That time was the first time I went like, nah, I'm asking every cunt. I'm asking aunties I've not spoke to in about two years. <laughs> I'm asking everybody to come to this. And in fact, I think before that we played in the BBC Radio 2. So how did nice it come part. about? How did it come about you getting played in the radio? Was it? I think I've heard well, this story, but I don't know whether it's true or not. James's mum had been, I think she travelled home every Saturday and heard Dermot O'Leary's Radio 2 show. And it was called Some Mums Do Have Them. And it was about mums who thought their bands get, should get more recognition, right? So James's mum kind of sent a trips tune in. <laughs> and uh, 
it got played. James's mum ended up on the radio. We had at like me, James's mum and all that had a big party there, but I had a big massive party at my bit. And they see like see it, it, we get to all we get told was it'd be getting played between six and seven, right? So we thought no, sorry, five and six, sorry. So we thought oh, we get played at five o'clock, dead early, and everybody forgets about it. So we're all sitting there. Each song goes by and then there's like, from mere radio talk shit. Well, everybody's locking it as going like that. You're only getting played. You're only getting played. And everybody <laughs> sat there for the full hour, five to five to six. Urchin comes on. The guy starts announcing it, and you're like, "Yes!" Because <laughs> you know, you just know that BBC Radio Two is everywhere. And that 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 was another. That was just another buzz for me, man. So, Baz, you mentioned the Tuckers earlier. You ended up joining them, is that right? The year before, me and JJ. We went to Lindisfarne, uh -huh. the festival, and uh, the Tuckers were playing, and I seen them there and that, and then a year later, well just before a year later, they, they phoned me and said they'd been offered a record deal by Third Fire Records in America, and uh, they, they wanted me to play the bass, and with a belt for it, and I was kind of went, ah, well, he's, he's a couple of days, man. He's like, ah, we've got a tour, and we've got all this and that. We're recording an album. And then I was like, ah, I, I kind of, ah, let's go for it. And um, so I, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd, I'd learned to drive in the time. <laughs> so I'd, so <laughs> I ended up, I drove down. And by chance, this guy, uh, Joanne Velez, who's the owner of um, Third Fire Records, uh, was video calling. So I got to meet him. And um, see, see when you first hear it, see when you somebody's going. By the way, we've got a record deal. We've got a tour in America. Now you're like, right, okay, mate, no bother. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I end up the guy phoned again, video call, and it was just a case of signing. I, I just I started reading it, and I was like, ah. but I'd read it before. I had read it all before, but it was like, do you know that way? It was kind of like meant to be kind of symbolic and all that. <laughs> Well, we're getting past about, and you know, we kind of went to go, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes, yes, I will sign this. But it was nothing like that. I was like, cheer on. <laughs> How did it come about then? Because the Tuckers have been about for years, like. Aye. Well, well they, almost, they almost got signed before. What happened was they done Pop World Promotes on T4, I think it was, or C4. And uh, they had the number one download for uh, Same Old Streets. And then they got offered a two, tour of Europe uh, and a few, uh, maybe a mini tour of uh, Britain. And uh, and it was all going well. And then something happened with negotiations with a record deal. Something happened at that point where they went, nah, and the, the record label pulled the plug. So that was them stuck in limbo again. Just before lockdown happened, uh, the boys were feeling kind of down for themselves. The two brothers, it's, it's the brothers, the singer, and the other brothers, the guitarist. And uh, before lockdown happened, they were kind of feeling sorry for themselves. So the dad's like, ah, I'm going to. So he's on Facebook pretending to be the singer. They're both called Kev, the dad and the singer's called Kev. So he pretended to be young Kev. And he started messaging, basically spam messaged every record label he could find with everything the Tuckers had done, as in videos, radio hangs, all the first bang, the, the person to reply was Joanne uh, Velez. And um, that's when that's when they phoned me. And I've been going back and forth now, and it's 
it's a weird thing, man, because it's still <laughs> not kicked in. Because I, like, I need to go down on the Friday night. I'll have a, I'll have maybe about four cans on the Friday night, practicing the Saturday and head back up the road Saturday night. So that way I've got my day back up and I can prepare to be back to my normal job. Because, mm-hmm. like, see if I don't, then if I start thinking about it too much, my head will... I'll never be able to work out the house with the size of my head. So what's... Uh... <laughs> Are you, are you going down every week and practising? What's happening? No, it's um, it's been every second week. Uh, we're recording an album, and uh, that's got to be done before the end of December. Uh, but it's been put... It was meant to be in November, but it's been put back because this Joanne, he's a producer. He couldn't get over, so he's put it back and put it back. And like the same as the tour of America as well, that's been put back and put back as well. But that, Sorry, we where, know, where we know, are you going in America, Baz? Where are they hoping to get you? Well, to we know, we know for definite it's New York, Chicago, California, oh, I think Minnesota. Can I come? And, uh, there's somewhere in Canada as well. That sounds shite, mate. How would they bother? I know. I know. That's fucking dynamite. <laughs> that, that's, only, that's the only places it's been proper confirmed that we're going to have a gig. We just don't know the date yet. It's fucking amazing though, isn't it? Like that's what a story, like How jammy am I? <laughs> <laughs> Why did they phone you? Were you a member of the band at that point when they phoned this No, no, I wasn't. No, no. They had another bassist when they played Lindisfarne. But um <laughs> in the brother's own words, he was up his own arse. So <laughs> they they went to, they, they asked me and uh I think I'm a better bassist anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the confidence of youth, but we're nobody's young nah, anymore. Nah, nobody's young <laughs> anymore, man. Oh, another thing I should add is <laughs> the guy's got a scriptwriter in to do <coughs> excuse me, to do a documentary oh, about the band, oh, about the, the whole story. And he's already got Netflix and Amazon Prime and uh, oh, there's another streaming service I can't remember. But they're all kind of there. They're waiting to hear the script and hear how it's going to go before they get funding. It must be so surreal, though. Like, I know it's all been pushed back because of COVID and stuff, but even just to have that in the distance to kind of get you through COVID must be must be amazing. And in one sense, it is amazing, but in another sense, I can't think too far ahead like that. I need because I need to go out and work on a Monday morning. Do you know what I mean? So I can't be thinking about what lies ahead I just need to take it as it comes so the, the only thing I think about next with the Tuckers is the next practice and I just that's the that's the way I keep doing it and when the, the, the recording comes round then I'll deal with it at the time but I, I'd rather like I'd, I really don't like to think too far ahead with that kind of stuff because you just set yourself up for a fall I think sometimes if you think too big and too without yourself and the nicest uh, possible way with it being slightly indiscreet is it is it something that once this all kicks off you can gear up work like and can you focus on the band is it going to be that well, I, d- I honestly don't know because the, rec- the record contract only is for two years so and, and all it is is the tour of the uh, US to the UK and an album and then what, what the guy Joanne hopes to do is and he says already he's got the bigger record labels there to buy us out a contract, but we need this album done before they take over, basically. But that that that's his plan. Do you know what I mean? That's we've got two years to do the album, the tours, and build up the kind of 
the fan base and stuff like that. And then, in Joanne's words, hopefully the bigger labels will take it on from there. They also said the fact that they stay in rural England, like it's like a tiny wee village, Annick Castle, <laughs> is where Harry Potter's film. So it's a tiny wee bit away from everywhere. There's not much of a gig circuit. There's not they, they play like little festivals and wee beer gardens and stuff like that. So they don't really, they can't really get that on that circuit the way you can in Glasgow or Edinburgh, I'll say. And that's what struck the guy straight away. That he he just loved the fact. And he loves the story. That's how he's got this documentary idea and this guy to kind of write the script. He's kind of compelled with this story. He's like, it's such a kind of heartwarming story of nearly getting there, almost giving up, and then finally on the way to getting there. That's in the wee Scotch boy. <laughs> <laughs> the wee fucking Scotch boy, yeah. <laughs> the jammy wee bastard. Is there Baz Fair coming in? Aye, <laughs> wee fucking fat bass lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.